You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome back, Buffalo Bills fans. It's Matt Warren, editor-in-chief at buffalorumblings.com and the host of Buffalo Rumblings Q&A. After the Bills beat the Miami Dolphins on Sunday, they are 7-3 and three, and in third place in the AFC. They have the five seed, though, because the New England Patriots still sit at 8-1, and one, or 9-1, and one, excuse me, and in charge of the AFC East and the AFC in general right now. As always, you can send questions at 716-508-0405. You can tweet us at RumblingsQ&A, and that's with the word and spelled out in the middle. You can Facebook message us, which somebody did today. Instagram message, email at buffalorumblings at sbnation.com. Lots of ways to get in touch with the show. Uh, please leave your questions as the Bills head down the stretch of this season where they hopefully will get a playoff berth at the end of it. Make sure you rate and review us as well to help other people find the show on whatever podcast app you use. Let's go. I thought the Bills did a much better job this week with the offense and moving the ball. Uh, Obviously, they scored more points with 37 points uh, against the Miami Dolphins' battered and banged-up defense. Um, Here are my five takeaways from the game. Uh, Devin Singletary was featured early. Uh, Brian Dable must have heard us complaining from afar. Singletary ended up with uh, 10 carries in the first half, which eclipsed his entire total from last week against the Cleveland Browns, where he only had eight. Uh, He finished with just 15 carries, uh, but that has a lot to do with the fact that he fumbled twice when he was carrying the ball. And he was set down for Frank Gore as the Bills had lead, and Gore kind of ran into the line a few times. He only averaged, I think, two and a half yards per carry. But, uh, but but Singletary was used early and often in the game against the Miami Dolphins. Uh, my second takeaway was Brian Dable should stay in the box. Uh, Dable ended up in the coach's box for the first time this season. Uh, he was calling the plays from up top uh, with his beautiful mustache. If you guys haven't seen it, you should go check it out. I think John Scott uh, over on Twitter was uh, one of the first people to send out the pictures of Brian Dable's mustache. But, of course, the Bills have now because he had a press conference on Monday. Uh, but the Bills had their best offensive performance of the year in terms of yardage, yards per play, and points. Uh, maybe he's seeing it better. Um, they did get Josh Allen to the line quicker and run a little bit more of a hurry-up style. So they snapped the ball with about 20 seconds left frequently, even into the fourth quarter, where the CBS announcers were mentioning that the Bills may want to slow down a little bit. I disagreed with them at the time and, and said so on Twitter. I think if you know you, when there's 15 minutes left, you dance with the girl that brought you and keep trying to score points. They eventually did slow it down as the quarter went on, and they were way more in control of the game. My third takeaway was sacks on the beach. Uh, our SB Nation blog, The Finsider, uh, the Miami Dolphins blog uh, down in South Beach, uh, 
has a Saks on the Beach t-shirt. They always talk about how many Saks the Miami Dolphins get. And uh, so I kind of stole that from them. But uh, the Bills just kind of had an explosion on defense. Star Latulale, Ed Oliver, Corey uh, Legit, and Jordan Phillips all had sacks on Ryan Fitzpatrick. So the defensive tackles were generating pressure. Matt Milano and Trey Edmonds combined for a sack. Shaq Lawson added a fourth quarter one. Jerry Hughes added a fourth quarter sack. So seven takedowns of Ryan Fitzpatrick and all. It was a great day for the Bills pass rush, not just because they got Fitzpatrick off his spot, but they were able to bring him down uh, several times. Um, the kickoff coverage was my big negative from the, the game on Sunday. Danny Crossman was fired so that they could bring in Heath Farwell. Uh, Danny Crossman goes to Miami and then just kind of runs all over the Bills' kick coverage unit. Uh, Miami had a 101-yard touchdown return uh, by Jakeem Grant, and then later in the game he had another 49-yard return. So that's obviously problematic. Uh, Whether it's they're choosing to not take the touchback and um, and, and hope for the return, or they're you know, Hauschka isn't capable of kicking a touchback, which doesn't make sense because he does it a bunch of other times. Um, it, whatever they're doing isn't working, and they need to fix it. Finally, I said it was their most complete game of the year. Uh, they won by 17 points. The game was never really in doubt. They were up by at least 10 for most of the second half. Um, so it was just a very, very solid uh, performance by the Bills altogether. Uh, the defense was good. The offense was good. The special teams weren't. Um, and honestly, it would have been even more of a blowout had special teams not allowed a touchdown. Uh, when the Bills win by 17 points and allow a kickoff return touchdown, I mean, they, they probably should have won by 24 points. And uh, they just had a really nice game um, altogether. It was their best performance. Never really felt like it was in doubt. The defense held the, the Dolphins to 13 points. And the defense would probably say they could play better. So uh, those are my five takeaways from the game on Sunday. Uh, Let's get to the questions. The question I'm getting a lot this week is, what does that win over the Miami Dolphins really mean for the Buffalo Bills over the course of the rest of the 2019 season? Is it a big deal or not? It's a big deal in the sense that the Bills' magic number is probably three right now. They need to get to 10 and six in order to guarantee that they're going to make the postseason. I mean, that wouldn't guarantee it. I think uh, what I saw over at 538, or maybe it was the New York Times, was that if they get to 10 and six, it's like a 96% chance they'll make the playoffs. And if they beat the AFC teams remaining on their schedule, uh, it'll be like a 98% chance that they make the postseason and that's if they beat AFC teams in those three wins not the the Cowboys coming up I think more importantly it means that they can put together a complete game and I know it was against the Dolphins and I know that they're struggling but the Dolphins beat two pretty good teams over the course of the last two weeks they beat the Indianapolis Colts who are in playoff position last week Uh, they beat well they beat the Jets so maybe not two great teams or two good teams but at least they beat one good team the Colts who are tied for the lead in the AFC South right now. So my Buffalo beating Miami isn't a nothing burger. It it means something, of course, and not just for tiebreakers, but you know, the Bills put together a solid game and they finally put a team away. And that's what people have been complaining about all year. Is that the Bills played bad teams, but they couldn't put any of them away. And now they've finally done it and Bills fans are like, oh, but can they do it again? Well, you can't be complaining that they never put a team away and then 
when they finally put a team away, say, well, you need to keep doing it. Well, of course they need to keep doing it. So uh, I'm interested to see what it means going forward, obviously. Uh, they need to be a talented Denver Broncos defense this week, um, and their margin of error isn't great. Let's get to some more questions. To the phone line at 716-508-0405. Hey, it's Christina from Nebraska. A great win today against the AFC rival, so always good. But my question is, uh, realistically speaking, to secure a wild card spot, we're going to have to go 10-6. and So where do you think those last three wins that we need are going to come from? Or do you think we still have a chance at the AFC East title? So, yeah, thanks, and go Bills. Thanks for calling in from Nebraska. Christine, we're honored uh, to be able to have that kind of reach all the way across the United States. The Bills are at 7-3, and three, like we said earlier, and they're in the five seed currently in the AFC playoff race. Uh, in order to get past the Patriots, Buffalo wouldn't pr- or probably wouldn't be able to just tie them at say, I don't know, 13 and three or, or 12 and four. Buffalo would have to pass them. Uh, if the Bills beat the Patriots, because that's the first step in this conversation about winning the AFC East. If the Bills beat the Patriots, they would still be a game back. And because of kind of the way tiebreakers work, most of the most of the tiebreakers would be things like uh, AFC East record, which both teams would presumably uh, be five and one in the AFC East. Then you go to conference record and, and games against common opponents and uh, strength of victory and all that stuff. And when you get to that strength of victory, the, the Patriots play a tougher schedule than the Bills. And so if everything's right down the middle, say the Bills and Patriots both lose to the Ravens and then they beat each other. Um, the next step would be that the Bills lost to the Cleveland Browns for their third loss of the season. So New England would have to lose to a team that was worse than the Browns for Buffalo to pass them in those tiebreakers and presumably in the AFC. So if you look at the remaining Patriots schedule, uh, they lost, they play the Texans, the Chiefs, the Bengals, and the Dolphins in addition to playing the Cowboys and the Bills. We're talking mainly about AFC stuff because if they lost to the NFC team, the Cowboys, that would alter these tiebreaker conversations because of the AFC record being one of the tiebreakers. So if you look at that, the the Texans and the Chiefs are you know games that are likely to that the Patriots could lose. But even if they lose one of those games, the Texans and Chiefs are probably going to finish with better records than the Browns. So if it came down to that, the strength of victory would give the Patriots the advantage in the AFC East playoff race against the Bills. So realistically, the Patriots are going to have to lose at least one more time than the Bills, sorry, at least two more times than the Bills coming down the stretch. And you can see that happening. Um, if, if the Bills beat the Patriots and then the Patriots, I don't know, before that, they're coming in off, you know, games against the Cowboys, Texans, and Chiefs. If if those three teams can put, you know, put two losses on the Patriots, maybe, but I don't really see that happening. Uh, who knows? I mean, the Texans have been up and down. The Chiefs have been up and down. So, what's going to happen coming down the stretch? It would be really hard to see the Patriots losing enough games for the Bills to pass them because they're going to have to lose several more games than the Bills coming down the stretch. They're going to have to get to 12-4, and so they're going to have to lose three games out of their last five for the Buffalo Bills to win the AFC East crown. 
at 7-3 and three in the wildcard race, they stand a lot better chance. The Texans and Colts are both 6-4. and four. Uh, One of them is going to win on Thursday night this week and take over the AFC South lead, while the other's going to fall to 6-5. and five. So if Buffalo can win this week against the Denver Broncos, they'll be up two games on the wildcard contender in the AFC South. The Oakland Raiders are at 6-4. and four. Uh, They have a pretty easy schedule coming down the lane, but everybody else beyond that has already has five losses. So the Steelers have five losses. The Titans have five losses. So if the Bills can just get to 10-6, and six, all those other teams would have to kind of run the table to pass the Bills. And so it's, it's a very, very high-quality chance if the Bills can just beat the three teams that they're supposed to beat remaining on their schedule that they make the playoffs. They've got the three and seven Broncos coming to town this week. They've got the three and seven New York Jets coming to town in week seventeen, and then they have to find one other win. The the Browns game pretty much eliminated their margin of error, so they have to beat the Pittsburgh Steelers at five and five coming in uh, in week fifteen of the NFL season, or steal a game from the Cowboys on Thanksgiving, the Ravens the following week on extra rest, or the New England Patriots in week sixteen. It's a tall task. I mean, that means no stumbles for the whole rest of the season. The entire second half of the season, Buffalo's going to have to be perfect. I think they can do it. Just beat the teams you're supposed to beat. Thanks for your question, Christine. We'll be right back after this quick break. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Our next question comes from Facebook. If you haven't, you can follow us there at facebook.com slash buffalo rumblings, all one word. Today, Darren sends in a question. He says, why do you think Duke Williams keeps appearing on the inactive list before the game starts? A lot of people have been wondering why Duke Williams uh, hasn't been active on game days uh, since he was promoted to the active roster and had a really good game against the Tennessee Titans, uh, where Zay Jones was kind of, I don't know, put on the back burner and ultimately traded. If you look at the Bills wide receiver core, uh, I think that the Bills are viewing Duke Williams as just um, uh, kind of a backup to John Brown, uh, as as kind of a backup, quote unquote, number one receiver. is the big-bodied receiver that can you know make contested catches, um, and if you look at how they're I don't know disrupting defenses, they're trying to use space more than they're trying to use size to get the passing game going. So Cole Beasley underneath getting passing game going, John Brown running really nice routes and using his speed to get open, uh, even Isaiah McKenzie and gadgeting their way to Isaiah McKenzie getting open in the um, you know in the defensive backfield. Uh, Robert Foster going long, trying to get use his speed to to put pressure on the defense. Duke Williams doesn't do any of those things. Josh Allen has shown a propensity to not throw the ball unless he sees that somebody is open. He doesn't throw guys open. He doesn't throw a lot of contested balls. So Duke Williams, who is good at getting contested balls, isn't going to 
get the same type of looks from Josh Allen as the rest of the guys on the Bills wide receiver core. And that's why he's been inactive. If you look at the snap counts from the game against the Miami Dolphins this weekend, Isaiah McKenzie had 78% of the offensive snaps, whether it was in the backfield or split out wide. They used him a ton on Sunday. So if he's going to be active, it's over McKenzie. And I just don't see that happening when they're using McKenzie so much. Robert Foster provides a lot of special teams ability, and that's why he's been active, even though he hasn't been taking a lot of snaps. So they're not going to make Duke act Duke Williams active over Robert Foster, who's playing a ton of special teams. They're not going to make him active over Isaiah McKenzie, who's playing a ton of of offensive snaps. So I don't know where his snaps are going to come from unless he does something really significant in practice to show that he can do things on special teams. Uh, I just don't see where it's going to happen unless there's an injury. Thanks for your question over on Facebook, facebook.com slash Buffalo Rumblings. Back to Twitter at Rumblings Q&A, where KD asks us, is this the Josh Allen game we've been waiting for? It certainly was a great performance from Josh Allen, probably his best as a pro. He had three passing touchdowns, 256 yards through the air, uh, 64% completion percentage, 117 passer rating. Plus he added another touchdown on the ground and a bunch of yards there as well. I thought he was looking off the safeties and just was really comfortable in the backfield. The, the Dolphins didn't have a great pass rush, which probably helped. Um, I think when Allen sets up and feels comfortable, he's deadly. Uh, he, we saw him a little bit flustered against the Cleveland Browns, I thought, the week before. And so these two games back-to-back would probably lead you to think that, yeah, he's doing a lot better. I tend to not give too much credence to this particular game. The Miami Dolphins secondary was pretty crappy. Uh, they kept losing guys, and they have already down most of their top players. So I'm not going to like say that this is the game we were waiting for because really what we're waiting for is Josh Allen to put the team on his back against a really great defense and show that he can be the guy you know, more permanently, not just beat up on bad teams. But I, th- I certainly think it was an encouraging performance from Allen. Um, if you go back and look at his whole season, I think his whole season's been very good. He In this five-game stretch, he hasn't turned the ball over. Uh, he hasn't thrown an interception since the game against Tennessee. And he threw three interceptions the week before against the New England Patriots. If he can get through that Patriots game later in the year without throwing an interception and you know putting up a couple touchdowns, I think folks will start to be having that conversation. Uh, right now, I'm happy with his development. Uh, we knew it was going to be nonlinear, and so he's been a little bit up and down, and, and we've seen that. You know, He had a bad game against the Eagles. He had a good game against Washington. He had a bad game against Cleveland. He had a good game against Miami. You take the good with the bad with your second-year rookie or second-year quarterback who we knew was going to be a raw prospect coming in. So I'm I'm okay with his development so far. We just need to keep seeing it. We need to see consistency. Thanks for your question over at Rumlinks Q&A on Twitter. On Twitter, at Rumlinks Q&A, Dave Thorpe asks us, what does a long-term injury to tie mean to the O-line? Can they really expect Cody to play six full games there? Uh, Ty Nsecki was rolled up on on Sunday against the Miami Dolphins. They put an air cast on his leg. He looked pretty darn dejected coming off the field. Uh, banged up Bills 
uh, one of our contributors at Buffalo Rumlings uh, tweeted out on his personal blog, uh, kind of a breakdown of the Ty and Secchi injury. I think he's going to be out for the rest of the year, uh, whether it's a, it's probably a broken ankle. Sean McDermott didn't confirm that on Monday for some reason. Uh, I don't know what that reason could be. Maybe they were just needed the swelling to go down so that they could take a, a clear x-ray or get a better understanding of, of how long that injury is going to going to take, but I would assume it's going to be at least the end of the season. So Cody Ford is going to be the starting right tackle going forward. It gives them an excuse to play forward at tackle and not have to worry about, you know, Inseki looking over his shoulder. So in some ways it could be good for the long-term development of the Bills, but at the same time, they've got a pretty vicious pass rush coming from the Denver Broncos this week, and Ford's going to be thrown right into the fire with a veteran like Von Miller. So there's a lot that can happen with Ford at right tackle. I think that's the most likely scenarios that Ford is going to be your right tackle. And then Ryan Bates, who was traded for during the preseason, is probably going to be your backup tackle. Um, he did play all over the line during the preseason, and uh, he quitted himself okay. Uh, and as a backup, you know, I don't know what more you're going to expect from your, your team's third right tackle, or actually fourth right tackle, if you go all the way back to Adrian Waddle, who's on injured reserve uh, with his quadricep injury. So if the Bills are, get down to their fourth right tackle, I mean, I, I don't, I'm okay with Ryan Bates being that fourth right tackle. Um, another interesting option is Chantrell Henderson, the former Bills tackle, uh, was just released by the Houston Texans off of their NFI list. And uh, if he's healthy, I would definitely sign him for the stretch run here in the 2019 Buffalo Bills season. Uh, maybe he wants to come, maybe he doesn't. I don't know. Maybe there's another team that's going to give him a bigger contract or a longer contract or whatever, but I could definitely see him coming in and playing some right tackle for the Bills uh, over these last few games, uh, especially if Inseki goes on injured reserve, as I expect he's going to, and the Bills have that open roster spot. Thanks for your question, Dave. At Rumlings Q&A. <laughs> Our last question of the day comes from Ian Carmody, frequent uh, questioner on Twitter at Rumlings Q&A. Ian asks us, did McDermott get out of his comfort zone this game? Was it the media and the fan base that shamed McDermott and the Bills into being more aggressive? Or are the Dolphins that bad that they made the Bills look that good? I don't think that McDermott was any more aggressive in this game. The one thing that they did change that I really liked was that they started doing a more of a hurry-up offense, uh, and that was probably more to do with Brian Dable being up in the booth than anything else. And once he sees the play, uh, he can immediately start working on something else as opposed to being on the sideline and having to deal with all the distractions that are down there. I really liked Dable's play calling from the booth. Uh, I think it should be a permanent change, especially against the Denver Broncos, who like to substitute to get their pass rush fresh. And uh, it'll really help the Bills coming down the stretch here if he can be up in the booth making some great uh, plays. He's been going forward on fourth down and being aggressive with that. They were still passing the ball early in the fourth quarter, which I was a little bit surprised by, but the game wasn't out of reach yet. And then once they scored the touchdown to get them up 17 points, they were very conservative. So really, none of it surprised me. I don't think he was any more aggressive than he has been this season. Thanks for the question, Ian. At Rumlings Q&A. That's 
that's going to do it for this week's episode of Buffalo Rumblings Q&A. I would encourage you to find the Buffalo Rumblings podcast channel wherever you listen to podcasts and please rate and subscribe. Uh, it really helps other folks find this podcast and the reviews help us get better. I've, I know I've changed my podcast based on feedback that was left in reviews. So I really want you to leave reviews, whether it's constructive criticism or uh, just kind of liking the show. Follow all the other Buffalo Rumblings podcasts as well. They're all on that Buffalo Rumblings podcast feed uh, on whatever podcast app that you use for yourself. Leave your questions for next week's episode. The Bills play the Denver Broncos this week in a big game for Buffalo. Go Bills. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.